Hello and welcome to the Boundless Book Club, the bi-weekly podcast from the Emirates Literature Foundation. While we're sitting here in sunny Dubai, we're reading books from all over the world and we can't wait to share some of the best ones with you. You're here today with Annabelle Ahlam and me, Andrea. And today we're going to be talking about things that go together like love and marriage, horse and carriage, like hummus and pita bread or stormy weather and a hot cup of coffee. When we're not recording this podcast, we are preparing for our festival, the Emirates Lit Fest, which this year will welcome more than 70 phenomenal authors, local and international. So I have challenged my colleagues to look through our lineup and bring today the best pairing of two books they can come up with for this episode. We are going to tell you about the lengths that people go to to find love and how one man's tragic childhood led him to become one of the best loved poets of our generation, just after this message from our sponsor. Obsession, it's in everything we do. Many people don't understand the power it has, but to us, without obsession, you're nothing more than a mug. We even obsess about the people who obsess about our coffee. When we heard seven out of 10 people preferred our coffee, people thought we should be happy but our pursuit of perfection said we must better it until we get a perfect 10. Because with a little bit of La Dolce Vita, nobody should have to live with a mediocre coffee. Costa Coffee, obsessed with perfection every day since 1971. That is another really perfect pairing, I would say. Coffee and books, especially a coffee and 9am. That's a perfect pairing. So, Ahlam, would you like to tell us about our perfect pairing when it comes to books, the first pairing for today. Yes, I'm really excited about um, both of these authors coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature 2021, coming really soon. My first book is Love in Color by Bolu Babalola. And this was her debut book, actually. She's, she's written another uh, short story that she submitted for a competition called Netflix and Chill. And she, I, I like that she calls herself the rom, rom-commissor. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed reading it. So it's a collection of short stories. And she's taken epic love stories from all over the world of different cultures and backgrounds and different eras. And she's sort of rewritten them in her own modern day uh, love story while keeping like some of the, the elements like keeping some of the names and keeping some some parts of the stories which are like culturally still relevant but changing them around so that like she you know she's removed some parts of the 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 story plot which could could be misogynistic or like was maybe perceived as love at some point in in that culture in that time but today completely inappropriate could be considered like abuse or even like emotionally you know emotional abuse or or physical even and and she did not want that to be um, included in the story anymore and she's written it mainly from a perspective of rewriting the heroines as well so it's a very strong like female uh, narrative in there in in all of the stories so you'll find stories about like uh, linked to Nefertiti to Shahrazad to Saik to like just just all of all of the epic love stories 
from from around the world and I really really enjoyed reading it it's it's light it's enjoyable it's a perfect read for just you know before bed and I kind of read one every night before going to sleep and the kind of relationships that you read about here they're very modern day and they're very relatable they're not these epic love stories that are out of reach or out of your imagination where you read them and you're like oh I, I can't even imagine like a, a love story like this one anymore in this day and age it's are very relatable you know they're they're texting instead of sending <laughs> letters and there there's all these stories about um in the characters you kind of see you know the uh, them being self-conscious or the way that the other makes them feel so there's a lot of you know the, the thinking behind how they're experiencing the relationship and I really really enjoyed reading that and I was, I was thinking about what to pair it with and we have such so many amazing authors coming to the festival but I, I went with the contrast so my second book is Lem, uh, Lemon as he pronounces it Lemon say <laughs> and this is a completely opposite story it's, it's a real story it's a memoir of his life and his mother came to the UK in the late 1960s to study and get her higher education and she didn't realize that she was pregnant and with with lemon and at that time you know it was it was a very shameful for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock in the UK and so the, these women used to be sent to these mother and children homes where they were forced to sign adoption papers and give away their children and um, lemon's mother refused you know she came from Ethiopia and she refused uh, she wanted to keep her baby she refused to sign anything but uh, they still took the baby away from her and gave uh, gave him to a family and said that they could foster him forever without her consent and so she, he he grows up with a white british family and he has a you know he starts to have siblings you know the the parents initially adopted him they didn't have any children and then they start to um have children and and he he stays with them until the age of 12 and then you know at the age of 12 he's you know he starts to be naughty you know in his own words he does he 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 kind of answers back and he's he becomes you know like like a normal kid going towards uh, becoming a teenager you know starts to find his own voice and then uh, at some point they give him back to the foster home at the age of 12 so everything that he knows to be family and you know and love and siblings and grandparents and <laughs> aunts and uncles everything is just taken away from him he's given back and so he loses all of that and actually uh lem until the age of 16, thought his name was Norman, because they changed his name um, when, when he was given to that foster family. And then he's been pursuing documentation because he's gone from foster care to foster home, um, from foster home to foster home. He's, got, he's been in, institutionalized. He's been in prison. He's had such a difficult life throughout his journey. And then finally, in 2015, he gets all the medical records and the records of uh, him from from one foster home to the next and he kind of puts it all together his story and all the records are also put put in here in chronological order as he's telling the story so his his perspective and and the reports that he found so so he found a lot of his truths very very recently and so you can just imagine for someone like that who's lost all that they know and has has not felt love you know in the pursuit of love that he's gone after and then today you know being the person that he is 
so well known, so loved. Uh, and I was watching an interview with him where he said, I, I actually feel like all of Manchester is kind of my extended family. You know, I'm walking in the street and I see a cab driver like waving at me. For me, that's my sense of belonging. I'm, I'm known here. I'm loved here. It's, in, it's just incredible to see someone who has had such a horrendous upbringing and life do so well eventually and give back so much to the world and still have it in them to give love and give, you know, and produce poetry and, you know, keep going and be the best person that they can be. So, yeah, two opposite stories, but I think, you know, it was a nice balance. I really enjoyed reading them both within uh, the same time span. What I was expecting from the book was a wonderful memoir told by Lem or Lemon. And in instead you get, like, through his memoir, the actual documentation that... Mm. It's not, it's not like transcribed or anything. It's just, it's printed there. And I, I don't know about you, but I felt when I was reading it, like I was kind of investigating his life as, as he was going through these files. And yeah. it, was, it was a really great example because a lot of these files were written by the care workers, um, the people who ran the foster homes. And then there's also correspondence about kind of speaking to the parents and their perspective of things that Lem had done. And then Lem's perspective of things that he'd done. And just this really interesting idea of how you can remember something completely differently to somebody else mm. and just kind of trying to find the truth between the lines as well, where Lem was kind of questioning, but hang on a minute, I wasn't really that bad of a child I was just a child like what where is this coming from and the school reports and just how everyone's perceptions were so were so different yeah and how how important it was for him to find that documentation because he needed to prove that I'm not just some crazy guy who's you know keeps talking about a a difficult childhood these things literally happened to me so it's so important for him to put it out there in a book to to kind of find release and and the other thing I, I noticed is that people in the care system where they think they're looking after kids might even have good intentions but they're not giving you know the the kid what what he needs um and that was really interesting in that you know you think you're doing what's best for them but you're actually um you know what they really want is a a love and a sense of belonging and understanding which they're not getting it's not just about being fed and being put into a place and making sure they're not sick and you know it's 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 the deeper stuff that's so difficult to find which comes from stability and being paired with the right home and the right family and yeah when you when you read the book do you have any kind of understanding of the family that did that? Like his foster parents giving him back at the age of 12? Do you feel like there's any way that you can see where they're coming from? No, no. Honestly, there's no, there is no, I can't even go in there and, and, and imagine or understand what, and I, and I, you know, I'd hope that there is a huge sense of regret today, you know, either within them or within their circle uh, after the story has come out or you know with their own children who who, who grew up with with Lem who, who yeah. are in the picture with um with him you know what was that like um so you know for me I don't think there's any justification or that I could at all understand that yeah you know for them it may I, I don't know I mean it, it's interesting he also says something like you know, when they had me, I was the eldest and I was the only one. And I, and then at some point I started to grow up and I'm not this cute, cuddly little brown child anymore. And they start to have their own children. And I feel that I, I was turning into what 
they feared the most, which is a grown black man. And uh, he, that's how he felt, you know, he felt God. that that's, that's what it, that's what it must have been. I'm so glad you paired that with, with something a bit more uplifting. Yeah. Because that sounds quite hard to, to, to live with. Yeah, definitely. And seeing, you know, the other book, The Love in Color, seeing, seeing all these different love stories from around the world, which are so relatable, but at the same time puts you in the mind of different cultures and how love is in, in different cultures is, um, is really fun to read. She had a she had a really quirky twist on was it this was it Psyche, Eros yeah. and Venus and are, do they work in like a London PR firm or something? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's PR, but they're in like this London office and there's this battle for promotions and and it's really interesting seeing Cupid in this kind of very <laughs> like corporate yeah. London setting. I mean, yeah. it happens a lot. <laughs> I would love to know what you've brought for us today, Annabelle. Well, I bring you today, Andrea and Ahlam, curiosities. That's what I bring <laughs> today. Fantastic. Okay, I'll start with Friend, <clears throat> which is a novel from North Korea by Payak Nam Nyong and translated by Emmanuel Kim. So most of the North Korean literature that we have access to in English translation is written by dissidents and defectors. Now, this is actually state-sanctioned, and it was published in 1988, and just this year has been made available in English. Thank you, Emmanuel Kim. It's a story about uh, love and marriage, essentially. And I think what was most interesting about reading this is going into it with kind of preconceptions about what I thought the book might be in terms of high levels of propaganda versus low levels of actual story, and having those preconceptions challenged as I was reading the book and I just I I can't recommend it enough not necessarily because the story is amazing the the story starts with this woman who goes in petitioning for a divorce because she's in an unhappy marriage and it's the involvement of the judge as he investigates this couple's story um, and the impact that the divorce will have on the child and how he kind of gets a bit too involved in the emotions um, at stake in the case. And it's, it's the overall, the novel is an exploration of, of love and marriage, but in a completely different cultural context to mm. any that we've, we've seen before. And I'm not saying that there's not, you know, there aren't elements of North Korean like what's important to North Korean society and there's not elements of propaganda in there, but there are, but it's not at the expense of story and it's not at the expense of character. Once you've read the book, what's really great, it's only 200 pages. So it's a really quick read. And then there's this afterward by Emmanuel Kim, who is actually, he's an associate professor of Korean literature and culture studies at George Washington University. So not only do you get this wonderful translated novel, at the end you get his insights onto kind of the the author's upbringing, the importance of him being in this literary production unit. He actually went to North Korea. He got permission to go to North Korea and interview the author as well. So there's his reflections on that conversation with the author. Um, He spent three days with him in North Korea. And it's just absolutely fascinating to have that insight into, into a place that I think we have so many questions about. 
but yeah it's a real curiosity I've never read anything like it before Mm. and I just highly recommend it to everyone because of that because it's just it's completely unique and then the other book that I wanted to talk to you about is kind of a compendium of the unique and I want to pair this with a book called The Madman's Library The Great Curiosities of Literature by Edward Brooke Hitching that was a mouthful. And I'm going to begin with the opening line, which is one of my favourites I've read in a non-fiction book. I had just turned one when my father first used me as a bidder's paddle at auction. With an antiquarian <laughs> book dealer for a parent, home is a house built from books, figuratively and structurally. Every square inch of wall space is rigged with shelves groaning with leather bindings of radiant colours, rich red Morocco, white vellum, naval blues, jungle greens, solid gold and older, moodier antique browns, all glittering with varied degrees of gilt tooling. So essentially, this is a really intelligent love letter to books that are interesting because of the way they were made, their backstories um that kind of defy categorization and the book is separated into the following sections books that aren't books books made of flesh and blood cryptic books literary hoaxes curious collections works of the supernatural religious oddities curiosities of science books of spectacular size and strange titles there's so much to go through I'm not going to go through everything but I have handpicked like a few of my favorite bits of trivia from the book that I will share with you Please okay. make it books made of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a fun fact about a book written in blood for you, which is actually sort of relevant to hear because I believe Kiss is performing at the end of the year, like for New Year's Eve, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think they are. Okay, so there's um, there's an issue of Marvel Comics, Marvel Comics Super Special Number 1 um, from 1977. It's a 40-page comic book featuring the rock band Kiss in a fictional adventure. And the musicians had vials of their blood withdrawn and mixed into the reservoir of red ink used to print the issue. So you can actually, their their comic book about them is written in their blood, um, which is (laughs) such a kiss thing to do. (laughs) It's just mind blowing. So that's, that's kind of one of the tamer examples that I'll give you. And then this, this is a random fact that's in the introduction. 2.5 million Mills and Boone novels in 2003 were shredded and mixed into the foundation of a 16-mile stretch of England's M6 toll road to help bind the asphalt. There is a 16-mile stretch of the M6 that is made up of Mills and Boone novels. Ah, the most romantic highway. (laughs) My goodness. In terms of like books of spectacular size, the story behind this one is is more interesting, I think, than the the size of the book itself. It's two meters thick. It's 41,000 pages long. And it was a book put together in 2014 by a Brazilian tax lawyer who'd kind of had enough of the fact that there were about 35, there are about 35 new tax laws produced every day in Brazil. And this was kind of his protest against that kind of like a visual statement to say, this is ridiculous. Um, And he spent 23 years making a single volume, which I imagine was completely out of date by the time he'd made it because there would have been new laws that that had come out once he'd done it. And then one of my absolute favorites is a story of kind of silly books, one that Mark Twain was a real fan of. In the mid 19th century, there was a Portuguese writer called Pedro Carolino. And follow me on this, right? He set out to produce a Portuguese to English phrase book, the finest the world had ever seen, but he couldn't speak English. So (laughs) 
better. I have to get through this without laughing. What he had was a Portuguese to French phrase book and a French to English dictionary. You, you can see what's coming, right? So phrase by phrase, he translated oh, Portuguese sentences into French and then put the, those results into a second dictionary in English. And then he basically created the world's worst language guide. And it's just a thing of real beauty. Um, some phrases that you might employ in your next conversation. Take care to dirt yourself. Uh, <laughs> yours parents does exist yet. And he refused to marry oneself. You break my head. You don't dance well. Oh, that's very abrupt. Your guitar, <laughs> is it tuned? And then not only the phrases themselves are complete mess, um, but they are occasionally in a really curious order as well. So this is my absolute favorite. It is almost nine o'clock follows the phrase, they are all dead. And then <laughs> no connection. And then while I have learned the French language is followed by my head is sick. So <laughs> yeah, that is just a handful oh. of many wonderful examples. There's books made of cheese. There's, you know, there's grimoires, um, all sorts. And just the, there's, it's a beautiful book. I've only actually seen like a, an e-version of it. But it's just as I imagine it's uh, the kind of book that makes a really great gift as well. And there's all these like mm. high resolution images um, and, it, and it questions kind of what makes a book as well. So there's, you know, literature written on clothing. There's um, people writing secret messages on, on toilet paper by using pins and things um, in like Nazi camps and, and all of that it's just so wide ranging and it's one of those books you can dip in and out of and just have all of these fun facts to share at dinner parties. <laughs> oh, wait, is this like, is this his description of his father's library in the house? No. So what, what he's done is he's, it, it starts with an ex explanation of the Google books project, I think, and, and kind of the number okay. of books that they decided like to scan so that they were available virtually. And mm. he started asking himself, if you could, if you, if money were no object, what were the books that you would put in mm -hmm. the Madman's library? Like an, an example of all the like curi curious copies of literature throughout history, like what would that library look like? And so that's what he's done. Mm. He's, it's kind of his dream library in a way that he's describing for you with real world examples. Oh my God. It is, it's really amazing. cool. I feel like they should make that library and then open it up to the public. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to take that on. <laughs> but it just makes me, it makes me sad. Like, you know, this, this, this little boy grew up in a house where, you know, his dad had every inch of his wall filled with books. And then it just brought all this crazy imagination to him that he's now, you know, taken it to this. And it just makes me think that, you know, how everyone's like sort of moving to Kindle. I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people are moving to like Kindle and digital books. And it's a very personal experience. And yes, whoever wants to read will go in there. But it takes away the element of having the physical like library display is really cool for the kids that grow up in that house and the friends that visit. And it's something that always comes up as something significant in the memory of whoever grows up around those bookshelves and libraries I love Kindles but you can't share if you if you read only digitally True. there's no like sharing and showing the way I imagine you could in his dad's house yeah so there was actually uh, an article I read about this a couple of years ago which I've found again 
basically research data from 160,000 adults in 31 countries concludes that a sizable home library gave teen school leavers skills equivalent to university graduates who didn't read. Mm. So growing up in a home packed with books has a large effect on literacy in later life, but a home library needs to contain at least 80 books to be effective, according to new research. That's just massively summarized, but there you go. So you're onto something. I think I'm fine. I'm going to count my books as soon as this call is over. <laughs> I, I think you're fine, Atlanta. You have more than 80 in <laughs> view. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have, we have been to uh, North Korea. We've experienced the Madman's Library and all its curiosities. And speaking of curiosities, I'm very curious about what you have brought as your perfect pairing, Andrea. Well, so my perfect pairing starts with... Annabelle Kintaria's thriller, I Know You, and it's everything you want a thriller to be. It's, I mean, I think I read it in one sitting. It's a page turner. And I'd like to read the blurb to you because I think the blurb is phenomenal. It goes, you trust me, you shouldn't. The picture you just posted on Instagram, I've seen it. The location you tagged, I've been there. You haven't been careful enough, have you? because I know all about you. But when I meet you, I won't tell you that. I'll pretend just like you do. You'll like me though. You'll trust me enough to let me into your life. And then I'll destroy it. Chills, right? So this is a story about an American woman called Taylor who moves to London for her English husband. So, and he travels a lot, a lot. So she is on her own most of the time in Croydon and she doesn't know anybody. And like, like many people, she turns to social media to fill the void and I guess to keep up the facade. So her friends back home, if they uh, look at her social media, they probably think she was living her hashtag best life. But then almost out of desperation, because she is desperately lonely, she joins the local walking group um, and a book club. And of course she posts it all on social media. And she meets, um, she meets Anna, Sarah, and Simon, and things start looking up. But the only problem, the only problem is that someone is watching her um, very, very closely. And they want to destroy her. And when you post every detail of your life on social media, that information can, that can have dangerous consequences. So it's a great thriller. And I would really suggest that Taylor should have read this book. Thomas Erickson's uh, Surrounded by Psychopaths. And then the, the subhead is, or how to stop being exploited by others. So Thomas Erickson is a behavioral expert and he wrote the international bestseller Surrounded by Idiots, which is all about identifying and understanding different personality types. So in this book, this follow-up, he wrote this book because he was doing a lecture about the first book. And after the lecture, this guy comes up to him and says, I don't really think I am any of those personality types. I don't relate to any of them, but I now have this understanding of other people. Can you tell me a bit more about how you use this information? He went, what do you mean how you use it? He was like, well, how do I use it to get people to do what I want? So that's the inspiration for then Thomas Erickson thinking, hold on. I think you're in the title. <laughs> yeah. So then he wrote this one, Surrounded by Psychopaths, which is a bit of a, he doesn't say that we're not actually surrounded by psychopaths. I think he said it's something like four in a hundred 
people have psychopathic tendencies. So this book explains what a psychopath is and how you can protect yourself against them. So it's an interesting sort of behavioral book. Mm. And it talks about what, like, what is a psychopath? To put it plainly, they're predators in human form. You might think that they don't understand human emotion, but, but that's not true. They understand them really, really well. Um, they just don't feel them themselves. So they will be very, very good at understanding you and figuring you out and then using that knowledge against you. So there are three things that he says that you can do to protect yourself. A basic defense against psychopaths. I love how this kind of echoes a Harry Potter book. So it says you can increase your self-awareness, learn to recognize psychotic behavior and decide how much you value yourself and your self-respect. So if Taylor in I Know You had known herself a bit better and valued herself more, then maybe she would have recognized the red flags in the behavior of some of those people around her. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe she would have responded differently. So there's a chapter on manu manipulation techniques, which I really, really enjoyed. And it, I'm not going to read it all out to you, but it says, for example, if you're an approval addict, your behavior is so easy to control um, because all manipulators will need to do is a simple two-step process. Give you what you crave, which is the approval, and then threaten to take it away. Every single drug dealer in the world plays this game. Mm. And that's what psychopaths do. So that wow. is my perfect pairing. And it's really fun to read the two together because that just gives you a whole new dimension to the characters that are in this thriller when you then um, think about mm. what their red flags are and how they could have recognized them. That's a great pairing. I love, I love that pairing. Uh, but speaking of red flags, are there any more that you can, that you can share? <laughs> any more red flags? Um, ooh, a couple more. A couple more. Well, let me see. I love that. I, I always wonder about psychopaths. I'm like, what is it? Is it like just something that's like unwired in the brain? Or is it just like, where does it come from? This feeling of this lack of feeling of any remorse or guilt or, you know, human decency. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because some, I, I read a different book about psychopaths, which is uh, the psychopath test. Did any of you read that? Yeah, I was gonna, just about yeah, to say, yeah. it sounds <laughs> a, like a good pairing as well with John Ronson's psychopath yeah. test. Yeah. That's very amusing. But, but um, in that, I think he, what he's saying is that there's no common denominator really for all these people that he meets. There's you know, people who come from terrible, terrible backgrounds abusive homes and then there are people from really nice and pleasant and wealthy homes and they have nothing in common apart from the fact that they don't have empathy yeah one one actually one of the things i remember from the psychopath test and i wonder if it comes up in this is um he i think he specifically talked about an example where he went to someone's house who he was implying was a psychopath and he had like a massive like oil painting of himself so i think narcissism is a big part of it as well yeah i think so i think so this is a, sorry, it, I've, I've forgotten about this. So the, the, the first book, Surrounded by Idiots, gives you different colors for different personality types. And he goes into detail. So if you're like a red with psychopathic tendencies, this is the type of behavior you'd expect from, from them and, and so on. Um, mm. But one of the other techniques of a, that a, a, a psychopath may use is love bombing 
which is when you just give people so much positive reinforcement to the point where they are just preparing you for the unavoidable blow. So after, after a, a set period, whatever that period might be, the, the love suddenly just comes to a harsh stop because they, they, they don't feel it. It's just put on so they can switch it off whenever. Um, and at that point, you probably don't know how to, how to get along without it because you're so used to it and you're so used to, you've come to rely on that constant um, affirmation, I guess. Wow. But you know what? How to resist being manipulated, act like a red. And I'm not going to explain that. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> You're not going to explain it? Both of their, <laughs> I so want to read both of those books now. That was a great pairing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Read this. So. Learn how to manipulate people. <laughs> no, the opposite. The opposite. So that's it for today's show. Three great book couples and all the authors will be coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature in February of this year. We would love to know which pair you're most tempted by. So drop us an email on comms at emiratesliftfest.com or comment on social media. You'll find us at at emiratesliftfest. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, Costa Coffee. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Costa. Bye.